0: Today's scripture reading is from Mark 6, chapters 31 through 34, and it can be found on page 712 in your pew Bible. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them.
1: Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. This is the word of the Lord. It's been uh, very meaningful for me to be teaching a course on missiology uh, this semester, the study of missions, and it gave me the opportunity to reread a book that uh, I love so much and that was really life-giving and transforming for a lot of us when we first read it 10 years ago. It's called The Hole in Our Gospel by Richard Stearns, who's the head of World Vision, and just a powerful, powerful book, and really out of that uh 10 years ago at least when we started here as pastor we started our first uh theme based on this and i wonder if anybody would i know it's been 10 years but it, it was the whole church anybody can anybody go with this the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world thank you you've made my day whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world talking about funding the mission of god being the hands and feet of the mission of god the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. But often it begs the question with you and me, what do we really have that we can give? And, and and does it make a difference? What can we do? Well, the question is based on Mark chapter 6. What have you got? Uh, put better, what do you have? Now, let's just break that down based on our text this morning. How much do you have to fulfill your part of the mission of Christ? Well, first of all, you have the resurrection. Resurrection, that's a pretty good thing. Uh, you remember the narrative, Jesus says, let's get away for a time, let's go to a quiet place, and they get in a boat and try to get away, but people are following the boat along the shoreline, just wanting to keep up with him. and once they get off the boat, Jesus looks out, and there are still many, many, many people there who want to be near him. In fact, if you look at verse 34, what does it say? Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now this is 5,000 men, we find out later in the text. 5,000 men and their families. So we're talking how many? 15,000, 20,000, perhaps more? I would say likely more. So it's one of these big, you know, big events with no concessions, no food trucks. And so toward the end of the day, The disciples come to Jesus and say, okay, you know, the day is waning here. Uh, Let's disperse these people. Let's send them away uh, to the nearby villages, to the nearby farms so they can get some food. They think that's the practical thing to do because we're out in the sticks. And what does Jesus say? Verse 37a, but Jesus said, you feed them. Say what? Yes, you who me? yes, we can't do that. Now let me just stop there and interrupt the passage here. It's hard to believe that 11 of these disciples <laughs> with Jesus' help changed the world. It's really hard to believe that. These guys, you know, some fishermen and tax collector and, and, and a zealot. Sounds like a joke. It's some fishermen and a tax collector and a zealot walk into a synagogue. You know, these guys kept letting Jesus down, denied him at critical moments. They fell asleep when he was in the Garden of Anguish. At Gethsemane, they cut him loose when he was put to trial. And when he was crucified, other than John, they were not to be seen, always letting him down. But then there was this drastic change, this drastic change. And they really became radicalized, and and fear became boldness, and confusion became confidence, and grief became relentless joy and sacrifice. What happened? Okay, what's, what's that two-word phrase, that punchline I use when I tell that story on Easter Sunday about the texting back and forth with that student I had, and he was frustrating me, and I finally said, said basically two words. Anybody remember? Two, what? Oh, my gosh. Okay, yes. Well done. Tomb's empty, which is still, it's become my slogan. No matter how bad life is getting, tomb's empty, which is great. And they, think about it, they witnessed that empty tomb. It's always, and we talk about this often, with the the earliest Jewish polemics, which tried to attack the historicity of the resurrection, the earliest polemicists acknowledge, admit, that the tomb was empty, so even there. And that's a great historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. But do you know what my favorite one is? My favorite one is the radical change in these 11 guys. Just absolutely incredible how they moved from being such such cowards to these on-fire, audacious apostles. Just incredible. That's my favorite evidence. And not only did they see the empty tomb, they saw him. They saw him, and they were changed, and they really did. They, in a sense, changed the world with his help. Now, here's the question. Are you willing to be the evidence for the resurrection, by living in a changed way yourself. In the same changed way that the disciples were changed. I want you to really think about that. Wolfhart Pannenberg, who's one of the great 20th century and first part of the 21st century theologians, said this, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened... You have to change the way you live. You have to change the way you live. You know, if we really believe the tomb's empty, you know, we're not to live as pre resurrection disciples, full of fear and doubt and being once removed from the pains of this world. We're called to be post resurrection disciples, and we have that resurrection. But in order to be post resurrection disciples, we've got to live as a changed people, just as these changed disciples did genuinely changed lives and it'll take you where you wouldn't even expect i saw gil franks gil you were gil spoke in my missiology class this last week about life link and other stuff and he killed it can i just tell you he killed it and uh you started out sharing a little bit about your testimony and you really became a full throttle christian what in your 20s is that correct And, you know, just listening to you, and I'm sure a year before you started doing this ministry for inmates who are getting out, you wouldn't have thought, I'm going to be doing that sometimes. And you were were radically changed, and so many of us have been blessed and inspired by you because of that. It's one thing to believe in the resurrection, you know, it's another thing to really, and, and be able to say through what you do out there that it has changed you. That it's changed you. One thing to believe it, but has it really changed you? Not just your destiny, but your daily life. And if you don't live and move and give and sacrifice in a way that is similar to these 11 blue-collar and white-collar brothers from the New Testament, why don't we? You know, How much do we have? Well, we have the resurrection. Think about it. Is the resurrection not enough for us? Well, wait, there's more. Secondly, radioactivity. Radioactivity, what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at verse 37 because I love this because the uh, disciples become unglued. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. What do you mean by this? Now, let me stop there. To be fair, they have yet to be post-resurrection disciples, right? Resurrection hasn't occurred yet, so let's keep that in mind. But still think about it. This is Mark chapter 6 you know, the early part of of the Gospel of Mark, what does it say that they already have? Well, they have him. I mean, they have Jesus. Secondly, they saw him do amazing things, these miracles, these physical miracles where he uh, healed people, uh, nature miracles. Not long before, what did he do? He stilled the storm, right? So they saw that. They heard his incredible teaching and parables and set these religious leaders straight when they tried to outsmart him and it just didn't work. And think about this. Look in Mark chapter 6 just before this. Why does Jesus say, let's go away to a quiet place? Because prior to that, he had sent them out two by two to minister, and it says that they did incredible things that God worked in and through them. In other words, they saw God in their lives and God working in their lives. Think about it. What did they have? They were, they were pre-resurrection, but did they already have a lot of things? Yeah, a lot of things to go on, and so do we. Which begs the question: How radioactive are you? How radioactive are you? And do you realize how radioactive you are? You know, people who work with radioactive materials have to wear a radiation badge. They're called decimeters. Anybody seen a decimeter? I think we've got a couple right there. And they change color as soon as they've been exposed to too much radiation. And, and it's a cumulative effect uh, uh the exposure is cumulative you know when you're exposed to a dangerous level over time and they measure the worker's cumulative exposure from the beginning until now so when it comes to discipleship to how much radiation have you been exposed <laughs> how much have you absorbed how much you have have you absorbed what am i saying in this most of us in this room have been to church a lot We've put in a lot of hours. We've been to Sunday school class. We've studied our Bibles on our own at home or wherever and here. We've been in small groups. Uh, We've gone to Christian concerts. We eat dinner on Wednesday nights a lot and then go to equipping groups or whatever. On and on and on. We've been to Laguna or some other retreat. We've put in all these hours. In other words, you likely, if you are here, have absorbed a lot. You've absorbed a lot of radiation But have you gone radioactive? (laughs) Have you exposed other people to it in a genuine way? Not just received it in here, but gotten out there and exposed people to this? I was thinking the other day about Joey Lankford. Many of you know who Joey is. He was a very successful uh, agricultural businessman in Brentwood, Tennessee, and was miserable. Tons of money, tons of land, and and some of you have seen the movie about this, but, but he just thought... This isn't enough for me. What do I need to do? Long story short, Joey just decides to go radioactive, and he takes himself and his family to where? Cape Town, South Africa, and helps Living Hope, that marvelous ministry that we support. And he really was the key guy to get up the, they call them tunnels there, which are like greenhouses, and he engaged in hydroponic uh, teaching there so people could learn to hydroponically uh, grow different vegetables. And it's just amazing the difference that he made. And here was a guy that was in a cushy, mountain-brook-like neighborhood, and decided, no, I need to go radioactive. Or go to the next one. Y'all know who this is? Y'all know who that is? She was Casey Sanders. So, Y'all know who Casey is, right? Sweet little Mountain Brook girl. Grew up here at this church. Went to Mountain Brook schools. Was just all Mountain Brook. And then she goes on this mission trip and serves a little over in Spain and marries this crazy German guy. Where is he? Yeah. Veris Dendas, you know, he knows what I mean, you know, and and she marries this guy, and then they wind up going where to Guatemala to help children who are in terrible, terrible situations down there, and it's called Hands of Compassion, and it's amazing the ministry that Casey and Simeon Sankul do down there, it's amazing, in fact, they went so radioactive with it in a very kind of, just kind of freewheeling way. Uh, that it impacted others of us here because there's some of us one of them sitting beside you a bunch of our adult women wound up going down kind of just gathered together and said let's go do this and it wasn't like this super organized thing the way brookwood can be so organized and they just went and then later on during a spring break we had a bunch of college students go and it was kind of like austin didn't they just show up to you and say "Uh, you need to lead us on a trip to guatemala oh okay and, and they went. Are any, any of the college people here who went on that? It was just incredible. We've got a picture of it up here. You see some of our college folks there. And that's so great when people just go radioactive like that. Taking what you've absorbed here. And think about that. With all that we have absorbed, with all what we have been exposed to here, are we going radioactive out there as we can and shine the radiant light of the gospel to people who so desperately need it? Out there. You know, again, it's, it's another thing. It's, it's one thing to, you know, believe in the resurrection, another thing to let it change you and take you out there and expose other people to it. Think of all the radioactive hours you've experienced here, this surplus of radioactivity. Okay, that leads us to one more thing. That leads us to one more thing. And I want you to listen to this most of all. We have the resurrection, we have radioactivity, and finally, we have resources. Yeah, you know where I'm going with it. We have resources. In the New Testament, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of the accounts that appears in all four of the Gospels. So it's deemed quite important, and it's wonderful. It's Rabbi Jesus teaching us to think about how much we have to give. And the disciples are just nonplussed. I want to show that again, verse 37. <laughs> Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they ask? We have to work months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. This is crazy. This is crazy. The disciples only saw that they had a large problem, an overwhelming problem. Jesus looked at the people who were sheep without a shepherd and said, no, here's an opportunity. Let's help them. What does Jesus say? Verse 38, how much bread do you have? Ah, how much do you have? Go and find out. Go and find out. Now, now, you see, Jesus did not ask how much it would take to solve the problem. He just wanted to know how much they had to give. He's not expecting them to solve it all. Just what do you have to offer? And you know what happens. The rest of it's great. They find what? Five pieces of bread, two pieces of fish. Everybody's fed. 5,000 men and their families. How, who knows how many thousands of people? How many baskets of bread left over? Somebody help me. Some of you. Does anybody know how many baskets of bread left Twelve. You got it. Killed it. 12 baskets of bread left over. And you know what that means. You know, the number 12 is significant. It refers to the 12 tribes of Israel and how it, it played into the new Israel of the church. And really, when you think about it in apocalyptic literature like Revelation, the number 12 represents the church. So it's powerful. So it's, it's a message for us as the church. Now, what's the real miracle here? Listen to this, please. Jesus didn't ask his disciples to do the impossible, he asked them to bring him what they had he multiplied it and he did the impossible that's what he does daily with us when we allow him isn't that for us to allow when we open ourselves up to let him work through us or I love the way Richard Stearns in the hole in our gospel puts it very simply he put it up there God never asks us to give what we do not have but he cannot use what we will not give just for fun since it's been 10 years and I get to indulge say that with me God never asks us to give what we do not have, but he cannot use what we will not give. So I want to issue a challenge. He asked them, how much do you have? How much bread do you have? And I want to issue a new challenge, and this is specifically for the first quarter of 2019, okay? Just a little bit of background. Well, and this is what I want to call it, and just this showed up the other day, but I want to call it, at least for now, up one notch. Put the next thing up. Now, it, it, start at the bottom. Okay, I tried it with up one notch, and it was going. This it was descending, and it just didn't fly. So, up one notch. You with me? That, that, that's what I want you to think about. Now, let me give you some background. And so appreciated Bill talking about the above and beyond campaign. We had hoped to pledge to double our mission budget from what, three hundred thousand to six hundred thousand, and so we needed to raise what, three hundred thousand dollars, and. Your pledges were amazing. It wound up being $373,940 along with the regular budgeted $300,000. Incredible. Plus, we had the $58,000 and a little bit of change that was not pledged but just given. And to date, we've received $197,000, a little bit more than that. 53% we got three months to go. I so appreciated Bill's transparency when he thought, hey, I've still got 50% to go. And it will be more than 50% after next week, right? Right, Bill? right, Bill? End of October. And, oh, end of October. You can do better. than that. No, 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 that's great. And we've got until December, but we need you to follow through. We got 53% taken care of, but we need your help with that. The sooner you give, as Bill said, the sooner you give, the sooner the MCT, the missions coordinating team, can do what? They can start uh, dispersing the funds for 2019 in our jubilee year and that'll be so huge it's going to be great it's going to be phenomenal next year when we can see how this doubled missions budget is going to make a massive difference across the planet that's going to be great but here's my specific challenge talking through january through march and and the finance committee schooled me on this and, and i think this is so important. The first quarter of, of the year, fiscal year ends in July, but, but just follow me, January through March, that's a critical time for the Finance Committee because that's when the Finance Committee is determining and projecting the next year's operating budget. Am I getting this right? Is Ray Pierce here? Or, uh, 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 I don't think we have any Finance Committee people here. They've given up. <laughs> Am I right on that? Okay, good. All right, thank you, Jim Giffen. I knew Jim was back there. But it really is a critical phase of our annual giving. It helps them. Last year we were a little bit, whoa, you know, we're, we're, how much are we going to be able to have? Critical that you and I take it up a notch during those three months. Okay, that helps us project what we will be able to do for the following year for 2020. So I want to challenge you, and I'm not going to give you a specific figure. Uh, just take it up a notch, take it up one degree, take it up one degree where you feel a slight degree of a little more sacrifice okay if you give if you give eight percent, give nine percent or ten percent if you if you give uh, thirty dollars a week give give thirty five or forty i don 't know you, you you determine that give you the uh, autonomy on that, but again, take it up just one notch, take it up just one notch from January through March 2019, you can plan for that, focus right now on getting above and beyond in, but focus on that when we get to January, and and, you know, we we don't need to act like we don't know what we can give, we know, and even more, God knows, (laughs) I was talking with Gil last week about uh, Pastor Bernard Williams over in Pratt City, Uh, wonderful African-American pastor who passed away a couple years ago, Uh, he was at Mount Moriah Baptist Church over in Pratt City, close to us. Uh, kind of a rough area but a big church and and he invited me i was honored to go preach there one time after we had met at Sanford. he had i think five degrees from Sanford. an amazing guy amazing musician wonderful preacher invited me over there to preach and i'll never forget it was uh it was uh, the offertory time which is close to the end of their services and they didn't pass the plates they literally, and he had this massive pulpit, but they had the Lord's Supper table down here and it a huge chicken bucket. It was a huge chicken bucket. He said, all right, time for the offertory. Let's bring it around this way. And kind of like how sometimes we do uh, the Lord's Supper where you come forward to receive, everybody came up and placed their offerings in there. Brother Williams is right there looking down. I'm, I'm not making this up he's looking down at what they're giving and I, it blew my mind because there was a guy walked by and he went uh-uh-uh and the guy well he put a little more in there and that happened a couple of times it, it was just the power of his uh-uh-uh and they come back and put stuff in there by the way we're going to change how we give here no no we're not going to do it we're not, not going to do that here. But I remember giving him a hard time about that afterwards. He said, well, you know, maybe they'll remember it ain't just me watching. He was thinking about somebody else who's watching. And uh, I'll never forget that, that, that God is really watching. He knows how much we can give, and he loves us and all, but he knows how much we can give. In America, as you know, church attendance and church giving is at a critical moment, and we've got to step up. We've got to step up and put ourselves into circulation Uh, In the darkest hours of World War II, uh, Britain was at a low as far as needing, well, they had a shortage of silver for the war industry, and they took that to Winston Churchill and informed him that they were low on silver, and they just had to have some other sources, and he said, are there any other possible sources out there, however remote, where we can get silver? And they said, well, yes, the churches and the cathedrals and the abbeys have these beautiful silver statues of the saints, And Churchill said famously, well, it's time to put the saints into circulation. And they did, and they did, and it made a massive difference. Well, God is putting the Brookwood saints into circulation, (laughs) along with, yes, some of our silver, if you will. But how many loaves do you have? How much bread do you have in your basket? And are you willing to give what God desires of you? I just want to close with three common phrases. We've already hit on two of them you know we are called to do what it's the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world whenever we think about stewardship let's remember that three-word phrase we talked about one year it's anybody remember it's all his it's all his anyway it's all his and more than any other reason yeah tomb's empty let's pray be with us, O oh God, in the days to come. You have spoiled us with the riches of your blessings. You've spoiled us with the sacrifice of your Son on the cross that we might not have to face life without you, that we would not have to face spiritual death. So be with us in the days to come and teach us to be better stewards of that which you have given to us. And may we as Beggars who have limped along and suddenly found the best bread of all. May we share that bread as we should with those who so desperately need it. We pray these things in your name. Amen.